Greetings, Alicast here. So, Asus betrayed us to absolutely nobody's surprise, and he might have cocked it in the lava room had he not turned Flynn's magic bag inside out. Everything started spilling everywhere, including thousands of pieces of Electrum. Asus was more concerned about his money than he was about his people, and that was just the last straw. Karen and I decided to kick his ass, while Flynn, Frankie, and Ido dealt with this enormous pile of living lava the Electrum was creating. We tore Asus out of his little robot suit, but the golem was getting close to that portal door, so Frankie decided to take action. Using some weapon he had stashed away, he managed to put the thing down. But when the smoke cleared, he was nowhere to be seen. Only his boots were left behind. I have no idea how my sister and her friends are going to deal with this. Hello everybody and welcome to the Terrible Adventures of the Janison Briffords Parchment Company. My name is Penny D. I'm your DM and a death in pop culture that stuck with me, spoilers, spoilers for Scrubs, is the episode of Scrubs and where I've talked about it on the show before where Brendan Fraser was on it and he was in the entire episode but you find out that he actually died about five minutes in that Dr. Cox was just seeing him like around the hospital and kind of carrying him with him and then right at the end of the episode they, they, you get that moment where jd's like where do you think we are and it turns out you're not at a kid's birthday party you're at a goddamn funeral and it broke me and to this day it's still one of my favorite instances of death of a character in pop culture oh my god wow. i'm after rewatch scrubs but anyway hi my name's steph and i played frankie oh I don't know how to word that. I'm still processing what happened. <laughs> Probably my favorite pop culture death. This is going to sound weird, but literally any character that Tom Hanks plays, that he dies. Like, I love Tom Hanks. And when he dies, like, I don't know, he just makes me feel feelings and I cry. But I don't know, it just makes me appreciate the actor more. So any Tom Hanks character death is my favorite. Oh, that's really sweet. Yeah, I love you, Tom Hanks. You give a specific... Okay, so I've seen Saving Private Ryan a million times, but I've never seen it till the end. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. He dies. Uh, I didn't know that. I thought the old guy at the beginning was Tom Hanks, but it's fucking Matt Damon. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. So I see it for the first time, and I'm bawling my eyes out. And someone's like, oh, if you ever met him, what would you say? And I'm like, how did you survive World War II? But I'm like, oh, wait, no, that's a, that's a movie. And he didn't. <laughs> it's a movie and he didn't. <laughs> I don't know. It just made me sort of appreciate him a whole lot more. Hi, I'm Poppy. I play Ida for the Tiefling Rogue. My, I guess, favorite, favorite's a weird way to word it, but favorite character death in pop culture is, spoiler alert, Simpsons, is actually Homer's mum, Mona oh yeah. yeah because like she fakes her death and then he finds that message in the newspaper and he's like oh my god but when she actually dies it's really sad i remember the initial episode but i've never seen the one where she actually dies you want to tell us a little bit about it oh honestly like homer is just like mad and then he's because she keeps coming and going 
And he finally reaches he reaches out to her again, but it turns out she had actually died, just like passed away. She's cremated, and the best part is, in her will, it says, release my ashes from the top of this specific mountain at three o'clock. And it stops a missile launch because her ashes get sucked into it. <laughs> <laughs> like she'd planned it, and I was like, you're amazing, Mona. Oh, that's awesome. Well, my name is Liz, and I play your favourite dwarf barbarian, Karen. And all of your deaths were very sincere. So I need to tell you that even though this sounds silly, it's also very sincere and I'm very serious about it. So spoilers for the 1996 movie Dragonheart. Oh, God. Yeah. With (laughs) the dragon Drago played by Sean Connery. (laughs) Sean Connery? Sean. And right at the end of the movie when Drago dies, it, it's this it's this quote and that the main character Bowen is saying something like where do we where do we turn now that you're dead Drago where do we go where do we look and he says to the stars Bowen to the stars and I lose it every time <laughs> and it's so sad and it's this movie from 1996 about a dragon <laughs> <laughs> I have never heard of it Oh my god, it's amazing. It's not a very good movie. It's amazing. You need to watch it. I'm Nathan and I play Flinvar, your most sales-thirsty bard. And I've got two, because they're both equally as important. Again, childhood spoiler alert, but our good friend, the white horse... Atreyu? Atreyu! That one just always gets me, like even as an adult watching it. And then the other one because it was my favourite show. And actually, I haven't seen the episode because I didn't want it to end, but when Xena Warrior Princess dies... She dies? Yes, yes, sorry, spoiler alert. I'm just going to put a tag on this episode that says skip to 10 minutes if you don't want all of pop culture spoiled for you. <laughs> Can I also add, sorry, the mom dinosaur from Land Before Time? Oh, oh my no! God! <laughs> I want to add in the sad dog from Futurama as well. Oh, Oh, Oh. I want to add in Mufasa from The Lion King. No. Okay, this isn't an experiencing grief through pop culture podcast. This is a D&D podcast where we may or may not be experiencing grief. We are moving out of Hivewood Bound arc. That's all done. This is now going to be... It's going to be Smoko 5, everybody. I haven't given it a title yet. It'll probably be something stupid like, let's have a muffin. How do you guys all feel about going to play some D&D? I have mixed feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually not looking forward to it, to be honest. Oh. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. It's been about 30 minutes since the gunshot. Flynn, you are walking around the island with the bag of holding, trying to recollect anything you can find that used to be inside of it. You look over and you can see the remainder of the party. What are Karen and Idafa doing in this moment? Karen is literally sitting by the boots, screaming, screaming, crying. She frantically was looking up into the ceiling because she thought maybe he'd been blown up onto the ceiling. She looked around, she searched the whole island, And when she couldn't find anything, she has returned to the boots. And she's just kneeling by them, screaming, crying. What about Idafa? 
is completely speechless, just kneeling over the boots, switching his gaze between the boots and Karen, just looking at Karen like, he's, wh where is he? Uh, Karen, Alicast is sitting next to you, just with a hand on your back, and Idafa Murphy is standing behind you, just with his arms crossed, just quiet. He's upset, but he's not crying. Flynn, you need to keep busy. So you are walking around the island, trying to refill the bag of all your bits and pieces. Roll me an investigation check. 24. So very, very quickly, you find all of your gold and your basic adventurer's tools, as well as all the other, like, you know, the, the fruit hat got a bit singed. And basically you can have almost everything that was in the bag of holding, you can replace into the bag of holding with a few exceptions. Every single piece of electrum that you have discovered so far has changed. There were like 11,000 pieces that ejected from the bag. Every piece that you found, and they are covering the ground, they're no longer blue. They're out now all transparent, clear, and really brittle. Like you pick one up to examine it, and it like shatters like Fabergé, like a Fabergé egg in your hand. Like it just crumbles into like, not dust, but like shards so, so easily. You take about an hour to comb the island, kicking over rocks and recollecting everything that you had in the bag when you that wasn't electrum when you see poet over by the stairs bending down to pick something up how many pieces did i tell you that you collected into the bag of holding during the fight 16 16 you still have those those ones are still those ones were still in the bag i kind of wander over that way while thinking he sees you coming and he turns away for just a moment and as you get closer to him you can see that the thing in his hand is actually the fifth amulet the yellow one that was left over from the day you all got your magic powers. Is he trying to hide it from me while turning away? No, he's just holding it. I'm just gonna like gently put my hand up. He smiles and he says, I believe the deal that we made was a share in the treasure. Wasn't that it? We all take a piece of whatever we find. I'll take this one. Okay, let's split the amulet up into five. He smiles and he goes to put it into his pocket. Do you know what that is? Indeed I do. My boss has actually been looking for this for quite a while now. You can go ahead and keep everything else. What can you tell us about its history? Well, it used to nothing. Nothing, nothing. And then I think about, about 200 years ago there was nothing. Nothing, 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 nothing. I thought it was just being like obsolete and I was like, oh, it's getting scrubbed. <laughs> Flynn was just frowning and he's like, ugh. He smiles and he's kind of hanging it from his finger, just lightly, just like swinging it back and forth. How, how important is this amulet to our groups? <laughs> I think it's more important that we know more about them because we don't know a lot about them and Poet seems to at least know, if not what it is, who who might know what it is, whoever his boss is. So I, I, I lean forward and I'm like, who's your boss again? When you lean forward, do you touch him at all? No. Okay. He looks at you with a smile. I'm pretty sure you know who my boss is. You've been holding on to this, keeping it safe, and for that, Master Speck thanks you. Most welcome, most welcome. We always keep our end of the deal. <laughs> it's marvellous we have a bad relationship with Speck we don't have like a bad relationship with, right? Well, he's a little bit dodgy, but he's not the bad guy. Yeah. But Speck was in, like, when we were going through that town to go to the funeral, Speck was there, right? Yep, and he sent you guys to get fight to go up to where the vampires were. Where well, I got naked. Hell yeah, I did. <laughs> but anyway, sorry, continue. Yeah, I'm still leaning into Poet. I'm like, we 
we're part of a big thing and we we've become we have amulets as well i'm aware and there's a whole ecosystem of things that we're just coming to terms with as office workers and any help or tips and tricks would be helpful all right then he takes out a piece of paper and he scribbles on it and he shows it to you he doesn't hand it to you but he shows it to you and what you can see on the what you can see on the paper is a picture of an apple tree apple tree yeah picture of an apple tree poet smiles to you he holds out his hand to shake your hand and then he says don't worry lad you'll figure it out <laughs> okay he shakes his hand your hand passes right through his hand you are looking at an illusion that's not really poet Flynn's just like touche touche sorry chum afraid i'm long gone thanks for bringing me along though i even got a hold of those plans for the electrum smelter up at asus's never would have found them without you and your friends he's kept a tight lid on his methods can you help us help frankie he kind of shrugs and he says sorry kid it's not really my problem until we meet again mr onagon poet tips his hat to you and the illusion of him vanishes Flynn, Flynn will just kind of turn away being like apple tree apple tree like pondering it can you roll me a perception check 17 you don't see poet anywhere while you're walking around like he's not elsewhere in the chamber but just off the edge of the island lying partially sunken in lava you do spot something that you recognize it is the grapefruit sized stone you found at marvelous's mansion and as you get closer you notice it appears to be wiggling I'm gonna use the mage hand. Yeah, you could. You'd have to be careful. I don't think a mage hand can really take that much damage. But yeah, you could do that. Yeah, I'm gonna use mage hand to kind of do like a behind the egg, like I'll scoop so that I'm not touching the lava at first. I'll try and scoop and then pick it up. So at least it's halfway to me before picking it out, just in case it burns my. Because I don't know what will happen. Roll me a dexterity check. That one. <laughs> How do you keep doing, like, I, I can see now you're like, I only ever play Halflings because of all the net ones I roll. Like, there's so many net ones that you roll. It's interesting because they come in clusters. Twelve. You successfully manage to get the stone out of the lava, and when you touch it, you're surprised to find that the stone itself is only barely warm. It appears to have absorbed all the heat. I'm going to exam- examine it carefully. Like, I'm going to pick it up from the mage hand. Once you pick it up and you're holding it uh, close to your face, a large crack appears on the surface of the stone. Is this an egg? Another crack punctures the the surface, and then a third, and then a fourth. And then the stone splits open, and the top falls away, and inside, blinking in the sudden light, is a small red lizard with butterfly-like wings. What? I'm going to be like... Oh my gosh, you're gorgeous. As you say that, the little creature chirps and stares at you for a long time, seemingly like taking in your face. Oh my gosh. I'm going to like bring the little egg up, like it closer to my face to be like, Hi little fella, or fellas. He's a bit shocked, he doesn't know. <laughs> Are you safe to be my friend? Blynn, you have, you've leveled up. You're level seven now. Tell us a little bit about how level seven is for you. Pretty exciting. I get my first fourth level spell spot. Oh, so I had like three options and I was debating them. But I think I'm going to go with freedom of movement. I mean, especially after all the stuff you've dealt with, this <laughs> yep. this arc is probably a good call. And then other than that, I just get to, which I have to do now, roll some new hit dice. Yeah, cool. Go ahead and do that. Oh, seven. Nice. 
I know you think it's good that you have high HP, but you know that the fact that I know you have high HP means that the Yetis are always going to go for you. <laughs> I might just start introducing an extra Yeti in every combat just so that I can get you with that. <laughs> it's about 48 hours since the gunshot. We're going to skip ahead in time a little bit. Idafa, you are alone for the first time in a while. You traveled out of the underground and you are now back in the forge and somebody rented you a motel room. It might have been Karen, it might have been Murphy, you really don't know who. Someone just showed you this door and you went in and there's a bed and left you alone. How are you doing? What are you doing? Um, Arif is not having a great time. Yeah. He just saw his like best friend potential crush just explode and all he has in front of him are Frankie's boots sitting on the floor and um and I was, I was wiping away tears and he's kind of just got his head in his hands to be honest he's just, just staring at the boots he's just sitting there by the way did you just officially canonize potentially having a crush on Frankie for the very first time yes Ida potentially has a crush on Frankie well, don't tell too anyone too late for that now you really should speak up when there's time <laughs> God damn it! So, I know you are left in this room by yourself for a little while, and then you hear a noise out the window of the motel. What, what could it possibly be? Um, ugh, this is... Cool. And I don't... Yeah, that, oh, sorry. No, no continue, because I'm going <laughs> to cut where I would say make a perception check, because I have that. So you can keep going. Okay. And so Ido just stands up and wipes his eyes and makes it look like he hasn't been crying. And um, he, he goes to the window and can't really see anything. It's quite dark. Roll me a perception check. That is a 14. It's evening time, but it's not super late. And out of the window of your room, you can see a pair of shiny eyes watching you. Eyes set in a small, fluffy kitty cat face. A face with a large, familiar white stain on it. It's you. I Screw it, you look cute at the moment. Come on, on then. And Ida goes over to the window and opens it up. And he gives Mole like a pat because he just wants the comfort of a cat at the moment. Mole does like nuzzle you for a moment. And then he jumps out the window and across to another balcony and steers back at you. Like, you know how a cat will lead you to its bowl when it's hungry? Yeah. That's what he's doing to you. Okay. Ido awkwardly gets out of the window. What roll would he have to make to jump across? Roll me an arcana check. Twelve? <laughs> it's a bit janky, but you don't really have the run-up that you're looking for. And the way that you are lost right now, you are having trouble. Your heart is heavy. Yeah. And as much as you just wish that it wasn't, and you open your eyes and you're on the other side and Mull in his cat form is just as big as you. And you look down at yourself and you realize that you have also transformed into a cat. I am sad, but I didn't think I was like delusional. Mole kind of like leads you on a little jump around this city, you know, balconies, roofs, climbing up poles. Just roll me a quick athletics check using a cat's uh, acrobatics check using the cat stat block oh gosh okay sorry i ha didn't have that up i'll just bring that up quickly no i surprised it i surprised you with it on purpose <laughs> <laughs> thanks can you ask a quick question 
Yeah. Do we do point five for the stats, or do I have to do the six d sixes again? I would prefer standard array if it's all the same to you. Okay. Just because I'm not there to, just because I'm not there to like watch the dice. Oh, that's yeah, true. I, mean, I, I killed your character, so now you're gonna come back and you got 18 on every stat, and it's just not gonna. <laughs> Have you found the cat stat block there, Poppy? Yeah, and I've rolled 14. Oh, yeah, you managed to keep up with him pretty well. Like he's obviously got more experience working with an animal body than you do. But after a while, maybe five or ten minutes of like a cool little Disney chase scene, you know, through up pipes and across roofs and through someone's living room and stuff like that, you end up on like a sort of someone's balcony. It's a nice view. You can see out, you know, down the mountain and out across. It's, it's evening. The sun's just finishing setting and you can see the red orange sky. And Mole looks at you and transforms back into a hobgoblin. Am I able to do that myself, or am I just like sitting there like, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. I have a very important question before you do. Mm -hmm. What does Idafa look like as a kitty cat? He's really cute. <laughs> I'm going to say that he's like a real slim, kind of smaller build cat. I want to liken it to a, a sphinx cat, but he's got fur, and it's the same color as his skin, so he's like a gray, a gray cat. Ooh, a sleek gray cat. So yeah, as soon as you concentrate on it, you transform back into Idafa. And Mole looks over it. He sits down on like the edge of the balcony with his feet dangling off the end. And he looks back at you and he says, Impressive. Your first wild shape. Is that what that was? I, I guess. You said you wanted to learn. No, apparently you have learned. Oh, thanks. Is, uh, what, what else do I need to know? Like, this seems like a really big deal. Have you seen animals before? Oh, pff, tons of them. Come on. Animals are good at different things. You can use for sneak, you can use for bite, you can use for poison. Wait, so I can't, it's, it's not just a cat, I can be, like, any animal? Yeah, within reason. You are early, you may not be able to do bird. Bird is complicated. Okay, wait, let me try this. And <laughs> he tries really hard, like he's, you know, trying to take a real big poo. And he would like to attempt to become a a deer. Deer? A deer. Yeah, you, yep. you can transform into a okay. deer. Yeah, that's fine. On a balcony? Yeah. <laughs> so you're a deer, and Mole just kind of looks at you smiling as you realize you can't talk anymore. <laughs> but I'm making this, you know, the weird deer noise. He walks up to you and he kind of puts his hand on your, like, the, the deer's, like, bridge of its nose. I came here to keep an eye on the friend. Make sure he gets home safe and uh, puts his hand like underneath your, like over your heart, you carry now. Ido turns back into Ido and he's like, carry what? He just kind of smiles sadly at you. Roll an insight check. Okay. That is uh, 16. He's talking about Frankie. Yeah. But carry what? <laughs> carry, carry him with you. Yeah. Thanks anyway, Mo. Amnity wants you to know he has task for you if you are interested. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing Amnity again. Uh, what do I need to do? Take this note and give it to Mrs. Stonecutter's sister. Tell her you vouch is all. Okay. And Ida grabs the note and reads it and it says... 
you read it straight away in front of him. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, okay. It's basically a request to establish a direct Electrum trade and that he's trying to buy Electrum from Alacast. Huh. Okay. Wait, I will do that. Do you think you will join Amnity? Eventually. He's very interesting. Mm. And I've already learned a lot from both of you, so I probably owe it to him. Some time ago, uh, the world was uh, unbalanced by misguided people. Gods, magic, they are not right. Amnity means to correct this mistake. He will fix. Yeah, well, you know me. I'm all about anarchy, so... Yeah, it sounds about my wavelength. Mm. He, uh, need Electrum. So, deliver letter. If comes from you, might help. Yeah, I guess you're right. Alakaz at least knows me. I'll do that as soon as I can. I just need to grieve for a bit, I guess. But yeah, don't worry, I'll be in touch. Perhaps we will see each other again. I would like someone to fly with. Keep practicing. That would be awesome. I'm very excited for that. And with that, Mole turns into a raven. The raven nods to you, still has the white stain on it, and he flies away, leaving you sitting up on this roof with some things to think about. How romantic. Idafa, you've leveled up. I sure have. Tell us a bit about your next level. Nothing exciting at all, except I can evolve into animals. Um, I, ha- I do have wild shape now, so that's quite fun. So you're taking Druid 2, right? Which is a couple of pretty important updates. What's your what's your Druid circle? My Druid circle is Moon. So I can do Wild Shape as a bonus action instead of having to take like a full action for it, which is nice. So one of the things I did while we were on break was I sent Poppy a list of animals that Ida would have seen in his life. Poppy's going to keep adding to that as, you know, as we have our adventures. Yeah. And there's some fun ones in there. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else that you'd like to talk about in terms of your level up? Not really. It's a pretty sta- like the wild shape and the druid circle, the most important things. Cool. So you are now rogue five, druid two. Correct. And I'll just let everyone at the table know. Although it's not technically rules as written, I think it's more fun if the animal form of Poppy does have access to sneak attack. We've talked about it. It's going to be a roleplay thing, and it's going to be purely like a bear punching someone would not do it, but you know, a snake sneaking up on someone might. So we will take that as it goes. I just think it's a cool like combination of the. You don't often see a rogue druid, yeah. so I, I like the idea of of playing with that. <laughs> Thank you. Kia ora, Penny here. Welcome to our nice little break. Uh, from what I'm sure is nothing sad or distressing or mysterious at all happening during this episode. This is going to be our last episode for a couple of months. Don't worry, we will definitely be back later in 2022. We just need a little time to make some more episodes. In the meantime, myself and some of the cast will be working on production for the Yes and Charity stream, which is a 24-hour non-stop D&D game live stream to Twitch. We'll be putting this show on with the intention of raising money for a New Zealand charity, and this year we're hoping to make a whopping $10,000 for the Cancer Society. The Yes and Charity stream is planned for the 27th and 28th of August from midday to midday, but we will be doing a ton of work and releasing heaps of fun content in the time leading up to the big event. 
Keep an eye out on our social media so you can find us at Yes and Charity Stream on Facebook and Instagram and you'll find lots more information. We've got some truly talented players and DMs from all over New Zealand involved this year from some of the bigger New Zealand D&D shows that I'm sure you know. Thanks to all these people and everyone on our roster, this show is going to be huge this year. Kiwi RPG Week was a big success, and while I personally enjoyed all the shows I watched and participated in, I'd just like to shout out our own Liz Parker, who not only contributed to the organization of such a cool week, but participated in four different events over the course of it. What a champion, Liz. We're lucky to have you on the team. Kudos also to all our Kiwi RPG creators who came together and celebrated what we do this past week. Onto the Patreon, I just wanted to shout out our current Factory Foreman supporters, Claire McDonald, James Courtright, Dusty at Gamers ADHD, Shobna Lee, and Waffles the Magic Undisputed King of Aotearoa New Zealand. You are all such cool, neat, extra fine, hella rad, double great, strong swimmers, and so good at roller skates, and you're generous enough to support our show, and that always makes me cry just a little bit. Please know that we will be working hard on the show during the break, and if you want to change your donation, that's totally cool with us. You too can become a cool, neat, extra fine, hella rad, double great strong swimmer and so good at roller skates by going to patreon.com slash jbpcpodcast and pledging a monthly donation. We do not guarantee that we will teach you how to do roller skates. For the next few months, your pledge will be supporting work with the Yes and Charity Stream, and that's an incredibly cool thing to do. Music credits, thanks to The Whole Other for Beyond the Lows, Aaron Kenny for Yonder Hill and Dale, God Mode for Melancholia, Asher Falero for Wandering Soul, Kevin McLeod for Cypher Electronic Light, Lish Grooves for Hollow, Gunnar Olsen for Barge, and Unicorn Heads for Stellar Wind. And an additional music credit and all around pound the back to you, our listener. We're 32 episodes in now, and you've either stuck around through all of this or picked a really odd place to start, but either way, there's no show without an audience, so thanks to all of you who add JBPC to your queues and enjoy coming along on our adventures. Whether or not you are a Patreon, whether or not you interact with us in any way, whether you're just like a chill, nice person who likes our show for 90 minutes of Fortnite, as we say here in New Zealand, cheer bro. As always, our social media pages are facebook.com slash Podcast and at jbpcpodcast on Twitter. And you can keep an eye out for news on the Yes and Charity stream by following our pages on Facebook and Instagram. You can also stay up to date on not just these cool projects, but all sorts of great Kiwi shows by following the hashtag KiwiRPG on Twitter. Okay, so I'm sure you're all keen to meet Steph's new character, so enough of me talking and onwards to more Hivewood Bound conclusions. It's about 72 hours since the gunshot. Karen? You and Alicast are seated in a comfortable room, waiting. You're both well-dressed, with Alicast frantically scribbling a sketch onto a piece of paper and frequently looking up at the double doors at the end of the room. Question, just as an aside, did Karen find Frankie's red necklace? Because if she did, she would have it. No. Okay. You only found his boots. Okay. Whew. Okay. No, well, no worries then. I mean, some worries. Mm. Well, some, yes, yes, Considerable reasons to be worried, yeah. 
Def- definitely reasons to be worried, but no worries about the red necklace specifically. Karen's going to turn to Alakast and say, Are you sure about this? I... <laughs> I know... Look, I, I know that it's been a sad couple of days, but... This is what I've been trying for. This is... When I first went to find you, this is what I was hoping for. Oh, I know. I, I just... Are you ready? Being ready is a myth. I've always just kind of figured stuff out as I go, you know? I figured out the Electrum on the fly. I'll get this just fine. I'm sure you will. And you, you know you have my support. I, I was sort of hoping that that would be the case, since without it, uh, this doesn't really work. Have you thought about the, the dwarves? Asus's dwarves? I, I'm pretty sure they'll be watching. They... They came up here with us. They don't often come to the forge, so... The ones that are left, I'm pretty sure they're gonna be here. Good. Well, let's put on a show for them, then. Hmm. I love you, Canon. I... I know we've only known each other for, like, a week, but... <laughs> it's nice to have family. Like, real family. It's been very good getting to know my little sister. At the end of the room, the double doors open, and the room becomes considerably warmer. Into the space, dressed in his most fanciest, most official stonecutter clan regalia, steps Barry, who steps forth and hugs you tightly, Karen. Oh! <laughs> Sorry, hold on, that's that's just Liz going, ah, Barry! <laughs> <laughs> you're sure you're okay to go through with this, my love? Yes. What better time than now? And he turns and he addresses Alicast warmly. And you troublemaker and he smiles fondly you sure you know what you're doing here and elicast is like yes god (laughs) let's just get this over with you might be about to be one of the busiest dwarves in the forge but i'd like to see you for family dinner from time to time anyway all right right then after you karen you've leveled up yay okay so karen is a level seven barbarian now which isn't too exciting but it does come with one upgrade which is called feral instinct i believe so by seventh level your instincts are so honed that you have advantage on initiative rolls which is very helpful for me specifically because you usually roll quite bad on initiative yeah always roll trash garbage on initiative and also if i am surprised at the beginning of combat and aren't incapacitated i can act normally on my first turn but only if i enter rage before doing anything else i mean we haven't really played around with the surprise mechanics they seem kind of difficult yeah yeah that's good to know good to know if i ever try to like yeah if you want to play around with surprise in the future just know that i i cannot be surprised i'm too good well i mean you liz can still be surprised i feel like i've got a few tricks up my sleeve (laughs) that's true that's true but karen she's her brain is too big are you ready to continue yeah karen you and alicast emerge through the double doors and into the council room set up inside the crater of the great volcano the forge is built on the lack of ceiling opens up into the beautiful night sky above set into the volcanic walls on every side is dwarven carved public seating for anyone who cares to watch Despite the packed stands, you can see Idafer and Flynn quite quickly. They're watching you walk. Do you guys wave or like, what, what do you what do you signal to Karen in, in this moment? I'll do like a little thumbs up. Yeah, same here. Oh, no, I'll do finger guns, finger guns. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Karen, Karen nods at both of them and gives them a big smile. 
The path that you are on is a raised catwalk that leads out onto a large seven-sided platform with each side colored with one of the clan colors. Alakast leans over and whispers in your ear, Dude, I'm so nervous. Why is this path so damn long? We're all nervous, darling. Just use us as fuel. And don't look too hard at the crowded seats. <laughs> Stepping onto the platform, you and she walk out into the center where a small podium stands. Barry takes his seat in the side that you're facing amongst the seven stonecutter representatives and an ancient looking female dwarf that you've never spoken to but you take from context to be Nephilim's stonecutter, Barry's grandma and the stonecutter matriarch stands. Steph, would you like to introduce uh, Nephilim to us? Uh, no. Okay, cool. She'll be an NPC then. Oh my god, what? <laughs> <laughs> that so Hello? We are here, called to action by a fellow stonecutter who is posing a change to our way of life. As is our custom, she will be heard and judged by the clans. The crowd and the volcano walls are all, you know, shriek and cheer and yell and, you know, they like it when people talk about the clan, so they... They make that verbally known. She turns and eyes you both, settling on Karen. What say you, sister? Karen clears her throat and she says, Honoured dwarves of the court, I am but a humble manager, an everyman's dwarf, a dwarf of the people, and yet through the power of Electrum, the power of these stones, I can become something incredible. This is the power that all dwarves can harness for profit, for power, for a better life for us all. We can become something new in the names of our old gods. We can claim our birthrights and she pops rage with a Electrum that was in her hand the whole time. Barry is watching this, are you sure? Yep. Okay. Yep, I'm sure. <laughs> just came out to your husband. Just came out to my husband. <laughs> Sometimes coming out to your husband it means that he knows that you're a magic user. I don't know. I don't know what this metaphor is. <laughs> and she pops rage. Her eyes flash blue. Her hair stands on end. It like flashes outwards. And she does a big jump. So she crouches down low, jumps up really high, and then comes smashing down onto the ground with one oh. fist. The platform breaks and you all go spilling into the lava below. No, carry on. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and then she gets up and she says, the one to bring you this power will be my sister. Alakast. Go ahead and roll me either a persuasion or an intimidation check, your choice. Fantastic. That is an 18 plus 7 to persuasion. So that is a 25. Oh, you look over at Alakast and she's doing the like really enthusiastic tiny claps at you. You look over at the stonecutter like table and all of them are like shocked. And Barry is giving you his bedroom eyes because that was very exciting for him. She she gives him like a little sh she gives him like a little shy wave. <laughs> I love that. Nephilim nods and turns to Alakas next. And you, Karat Goldseeker, 
You understand that a new clan has not been created since the formation of our great civilization. Are you prepared for the responsibility that comes with being a queen? Alakas looks wide-eyed over at you, Karen, and you realize that maybe she's never stopped to consider the pomp and circumstance that leading a new clan will actually involve before this exact moment. Karen would like to whisper to her, You are born for this. She nods and she turns back and she says, Uh, yes, ma'am. Nifling, who definitely caught what you said, kind of shakes her head just a little bit. We shall see. And is there a queen who wishes to sponsor this somewhat shocking change to our lifestyle? Murmurs spring up from all around the stadium seating as you turn to each of the clan queens, all turning their noses up at you. Gem Hunter, Silver Skinned, Diamond Heart, all the queens uh, look at you with derision or boredom. I, Helena Goldseeker, we wish to sponsor the establishment of this new clan. Karen, you turn in to the Goldseeker side and you can see your auntie standing in her full Goldseeker regalia and next to her sits Jade with the biggest grin on her face. Your aunt Helena smiles at you and wiggles her eyebrows in a very unqueen-like way and you remember what Jade said that the entire Goldseeker clan owes you a favor for the fact that your mother is not queen. Catching it in. Nephilim is surprised, but quickly recomposes herself. Ah, the Goldseeker support is registered, but still we need support from within. Are there any stonecutters amongst us who wish to support this strange request being brought before us today? She looks across the bench of the stonecutter leaders, each of whom do not move, and their steely gaze fixed on you, shocked for you even daring. And then there is the scraping of a chair as Barrington gets to his feet. Aye, Barrington Stonecutter, foreman of the Great Forge, we stand above in this very chamber. And I believe there are some supporters out there too. And Karen, you turn and you see first just dwarves you recognize as Barry's direct subordinates, but then more and more dwarves of all clans are getting to their feet. Nephilim sort of stands there staring with her jaw agape, clearly not having expected Barry or so many others to have stepped out of line in this moment. Barry turns and says, Grandmama, perhaps you would like to wrap up the ceremony. He sort of chides good-naturedly. Nephilim swallows. Uh, yes, well... As is the rule by our custom, and she turns and she looks at all the other stonecutters, like waiting for somebody to step out, but they're all kind of shrugging. With the support of the gold seekers and the stonecutters, I now hereby recognize the formation of our new eighth clan. And she checks her notes and says, Clan Electrumcast. And as Elicast hugs Karen tightly, and Ido and Flynn, and the miners who you managed to save from the Lava Golem all rush down to the stage to congratulate you. We leave this scene, and we're going to jump forwards in time just a little. Not far, just a week, to the tired return of the group to Murphy's Honest Goods. Your first stop since returning to the city. Idafer, 
Did you deliver the letter for Mo? I kind of just snuck it to Alicast after, like, congratulating her on the new clan. Lynn, what have you done with the little fairy dragon? It's in my satchel with a nice comfy seat. So you've just let it, you've let it sleep on you? Yeah. Karen, did you visit your mother before you left? Absolutely not. Entering the dark back room after a trip through the mountains, Murphy's at the front. He takes off his goat horns hat and without even bothering to unpack, he pulls five glasses and pours warm, frothy drinks for you all. He sits down at the table and puts the leftover glass in front of the only empty seat. Uh, to Frankie. He was a good kid. Oh, Frankie. To Frankie. Karen raises her glass. Flip Flynn, like, slams his little fist on his thing, and he's like, so, what's the plan? There's gotta be a plan. And from behind you, you hear a unexpected voice. Ah! You're back. Just in time. You're all going to do me a favor. Or else, prepare for the whole city to know about your secrets. That's the plan. And standing behind you in the entranceway to Murphy's secret space, holding a full-to-bursting notebook, of which a quick glance, you can each see your addresses noted down in it, is Hoss, the dwarf you kicked in the balls, on your very first day as adventurers. Oh, you again. And that is where we are going to end the episode. Except, Frankie, when you pulled that trigger, something happened. You remember being thrown back by the force of the weapon, hitting some kind of barrier and feeling it shatter from the force of your momentum. You don't know how long ago that was, and your eyes are closed. Am I alive? I can think you're alive? You feel alive. You've currently got your eyes closed, and you don't feel anything. Like, you've got your clothes, but you're not, like, for example, lying down on anything. Do I have my boots? No. <laughs> Frankie opens his eyes. You are floating untethered and thousands of little yellow ribbons eels tadpoles thousands of little yellow wisps of mist uh floating around you okay uh and this this must be the afterlife maybe i am going to heaven <laughs> do you say that out loud or are you thinking that uh frankie says it out loud because he wouldn't think about saying it in his head what comes out of your mouth isn't really sound in fact there's no noise here at all but your movement sends ripples through the emptiness and as it does the little yellow wisps come to life each of them beginning to wiggle and sort of float away upwards frankie looks i guess upwards towards where they're moving to roll me a perception check perception 16 as the wisps clear, you you realize that you're in an endless black expanse. In the distance, you can see random like rocks and pieces of what look like earth just floating gently, randomly. Your gaze follows the yellow wisps as they travel above your head. I mean, I say up, but 
there is no up or down in this place. And you see more of them. Thousands, millions, maybe billions of similar wisps all swirling angrily overhead in an enormous planet-sized whirlpool of red and yellow. Frankie is overwhelmed. And you don't have shoes. And he doesn't have shoes, and he doesn't like not having shoes. I guess he's going to attempt to try and move towards the whirlpool. There's nothing to push against, but just roll me an intelligence check really quickly. That's a natural 20. Nice. Almost in- instantly, you you realize there's nothing to push against, but you can use your thoughts to move yourself around. Think where you want to go and just travel that way. And as you travel, you're struck by many odd sensations. There's no air in this place. There's no wind resistance to tell you how fast you're traveling, but also you aren't struck by a need to breathe. Similarly to the vibrations that your movement causes and the lack of sounds, this place seems to have its own set of rules. Okay. This is strange. This isn't logical at all. Roll me a perception check. 15. Frankie, you can feel some of those same vibrations, only they're not coming from you. They seem to be originating from a nearby floating rock. Frankie thinks about moving towards the rock. You float closer and you can hear? No, not hear. You can feel something pleasant. The vibrations have like a special harmony to them. Is is someone singing? And you get a little closer and you peek over the top of this rock and you see them. Sitting cross-legged and cooing to a single yellow wisp is another person. A dragonborn like Diawain. Only judging from the bronze tinge of his scales and the shape of his face, this is not any old dragonborn. This is one that you've been shown before. One of the people the question box showed you is here with you in this place. 